The following audio is from Redemption Church. More information about our church can be found at www.redemptionchurchlacombe.org. All right, church family, take your copy of God's Word. Let's study together Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. I would ask you also just to be prayerful for two of our staff members, Andrew and his family's out sick, as well as uh, John Jameson, as some of you have experienced some of that glorious sickness that has been going Around, So just pray for them that God will heal them completely so they can uh, join us again. Well, today, as I mentioned to you, we are starting what we call the month of prayer and the word. We've been doing this for many years as a focus of our church, as a way by which we start our year off so that we can begin to allow our minds and our hearts to be refocused as we launch into a new year. We've been doing this since about 2009, so about 14 years that we've been doing so. And it's a way by which we come together as a church to hear God's word as a challenge on two very spiritual disciplines, important spiritual disciplines that are foundational for us as believers, God's word and prayer. And you could just simply say, okay, pastor, I know I need to do it. Let's just move on. But the heart behind this is to actually challenge us to hear from God's word of how those things can be rich and how those things can be meaningful for you and for me in your individual life, as well as for us as a church. We don't just hear about it. We actually take some time to be able to do those things with more intentionality through this month. If you've been with us for some period of time, if you're a member here, or if you have worshiped with us for a period of time, or whether you're visiting for the first time, it is important for us. It is actually two of our very first of our core values. Passionate prayer is our first core value, and biblical exposition is our second core value as a church. What you value determines what you do, and what you do actually tells you what your core values are. You can have a core value, but if you don't do anything about it, then it's really not a core value. It's just something on paper. But we say passionate prayer and God's Word are two of the foundational things for us as a church because it's really the foundation of all things. It's like building a house. If you don't start with a solid foundation, everything else that you do on top of it will really just be in vain. It may stand for a little bit, but if it doesn't have a good foundation... When the storms come, when the difficulties come, the house will crumble. Some of you may be thinking, well, what about worship? Shouldn't we value worship? What about missions? Shouldn't we value missions? What about evangelism? What about good leadership? What about faithful servants? All of those are our other core values, and they are very important. But prayer in God's Word undergirds all of those things. It helps us to do all of those things well. If you have a good prayer life, if you have good discipline in God's Word, then you're going to have a heart for missions. You're going to have a heart for evangelism. You're going to want to see to be involved with other people because those things just flow out of God's heart as well. And so what I want to do for you as we begin today, I want to show you just some of the resources before we jump into God's Word of some things that are available for you not just for this month, but also that are available on our website and our app for you to be able to have resources to help you in prayer and reading God's Word. I just want to show you a picture of the website page so you can understand exactly what you need to look for. You'll see at the top of this screenshot is a shot of our website. And what the word that is circled there is resources. So if you were looking for some of the things that I'm talking about today, you could go to resources But you'll notice also on our website right now, there is a banner called Month of Prayer in the Word. And if you click on that banner, it will give you all of the things that we're going to be focusing on this month. It gives you the schedule. It gives you the prayer things we're going to be talking about, the locations, different prayer gatherings that we're going to have. 
And then if you click on the next thing, there's called the Bible reading tools and plans. If you need to know, like if you want to be in God's Word and you want to know where do you begin, you can click on that link there, Bible tools and reading plans, and it will take you to a page that will list multiple types of reading plans, ones that will fit and cater to you, whether you want to read the Bible chronologically, whether you want to start from Genesis and read all the way through, whether you want to do one Old Testament, one New Testament, The point is we want to give you the resources so you can't say, I don't know what to do. We're giving you plenty of things to help you to know what to do. And as well as on that month of prayer in the Word, when you click on that page, it's going to give you the list and the schedule. And at the bottom of that page, there's going to be a devotion that one of us as a staff member is going to write every week through the month of January. And it's going to be posted that you can read individually or you can read as a family. The first one's already posted. I've Uh, Jerry, who works on our website for us, posted that for you yesterday. That's available to you. You can go on that page, and you can read that through this week. Chew on that, and the next week you'll have one every Sunday that will be posted. Our heart's desire is that you will take these resources and take these tools so you can be able to be in the Word and be in prayer better. Those same things that we've mentioned are replicated on the app that we have as a church. You hear us talk about that. It's the Church Center app. If you don't have that and you want us to give you some help with that, we will help you to see any of us after service today that's a staff, and we will guide you to know what you need to do. But as we jump into today's topic of the month of prayer and the Word, today I want to talk about fasting and prayer as a way to focus on God. And I know some of you are probably asking the question, well, what is fasting? What do I need to fast about? Why should I fast and pray? Is praying not enough in and of itself? Well, I want to help you as a believer to maybe challenge you with this spiritual discipline of what you need to do to couple this with your prayer life. Some of you have heard about fasting, and maybe that was just from the doctor. that You had to fast for a period of time for blood work. That doesn't count for what I'm talking about. What we're talking about is a time to be able to really be intensely focused on God. I'm going to give you a definition. This is a definition that I have written just simply from looking at all of Scripture in regards to fasting. Fasting is primarily restraining oneself from food for a specific time combined with prayer in order to focus on God more intently and to present to Him a specific need or needs. Now let me break that down for you. And we're going to see this actually fleshed out in Scripture. Now so for some of you, maybe you have fasted before. If you've been a part of our church for a period of time, you know this is something that we have done at periods of our church when we've had major crossroads where there's been people who had major illnesses that we've fasted and prayed for. But you'll see clearly there's three particular aspects that's on this definition that I'm going to show you in Scripture. Number one is really that you are just simply denying yourself before God and humbling Him. That is through fasting. If you want to know how much you love food, take a time to fast. Because fasting is denying yourself, and in fasting what you're saying is, God, I love you more than this meal. It's a way by which you're humbling yourself before God to say that during this period of time of fasting, you're going to seek God. Now, what some people will do is they will fast and they'll just busy themselves to try to ignore the hunger that is there. That's not accomplishing in regards to what fasting is to do. When you're fasting and praying and you're taking a period of time to fast, to humble yourself, you're filling that time that you normally would be eating with a focused time to be able to read and to pray and to hear from God. That's the purpose of it. So the first thing of fasting and praying is self-denial. It's a humbleness before God that is accomplished through fasting. The second is a focused, that you have a focus on God. That's the purpose of fasting. That's what we're talking about, a specific time 
combined with prayer, in order to focus on God, notice the next words, more intently. Now, can you focus on God just by praying? You can participate this morning. Yes, you can. You can pray with great intensity and focus upon God. But when you're fasting and praying, couple those things together, you're praying with much more intensity. And the third thing that you're doing is you're presenting a specific need before God or needs before Him. So three aspects. There is a self-denial before God, humbling yourself. And then you're actually focusing on God. And then thirdly, you're actually laying things before Him. I believe that probably some of you in this room probably have some things in your own life, and I'm going to challenge you at the very end of these very things. I think some of you probably have some things and some needs in your own life that you probably need to have some concentrated time that you lay them before God with a sincere, intense purpose of prayer and fasting to seek God's will for those particular things. And I'm going to give you some specific challenges as we get to the end. But I want you to hear from God's Word this morning in regards to what fasting is. What do we fast about? It's interesting that in Scripture, and even the Scripture that we're going to look at today, Matthew 6, 16 through 18, that there's very little actually said in regards to what we are to fast about. Jesus gives very little instructions of how we're supposed to fast. Now, Jesus' disciples asked Jesus the question before about prayer. Remember what they said? Jesus, teach us how to pray. And that's the beginning part of Luke chapter 11 when Jesus actually gives what we call the Lord's Prayer. And that's repeated again in Matthew chapter 6. But never do we actually hear the disciples ask Jesus, how do I fast? But what we do see in the passage that we're going to see today is that there is a clear indication that fasting was a part of their lives of a pursuit of seeking God. And I think it's a discipline that we as believers should have as a normal part of our life as we see it in the Scripture as well. But what we're going to do today is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, this one of the teachings where Jesus actually gives very clear, one of the only times he really teaches about fasting and what shouldn't happen and what should happen. There's four truths that I want to glean from this passage of Scripture to challenge you with in regards to fasting. And then if time permits, I'm going to be able to show you some examples looking at the Old Testament of ways by which we can actually see how they fasted, what they fasted about, and to see and challenge your own life of things maybe that you need to fast and seek God for as you begin this new year. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, the context of this passage of Scripture, it's coupled together from chapters 5 through chapter 7. Jesus is teaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He's basically laying out some very clear beginning instructions for how they're supposed to live, how they're supposed to follow him, how they're supposed to live righteously for him as followers of Jesus Christ. And so chapter 6 is right in the middle of all this. And verse 16 through 18 is Jesus' teaching as it regards to fasting. So let's read the passage of Scripture and let's walk through and see some of the four truths or principles about fasting as we launch into finishing up 2023 and jumping into 2024. My heart's desire is actually to challenge you to begin your 2024 year with some true, intense focus of genuinely seeking God. Genuinely, intensely pursuing Him through fasting and prayer. I can't make you do this, but I'm calling you to a challenge to genuinely pursue Him. And I pray that even as we walk through this text this morning, that God will show you, He will reveal to you, maybe the things that you need to pursue Him about. Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, And when you fast, 
Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's talk about the four principles that I see here from very clearly regarding fasting, and then we can be able to look at some of these examples. Number one, I think Jesus tells us there's an expectation of fasting for believers. Because if you notice in this passage of Scripture, Jesus, the way he talks about it, he doesn't say this is something you must do. He says, when you fast. So the expectation of fasting by Christ is that Jesus spoke of fasting as a normal spiritual discipline in the life of believers. You see it there. In verse 16, notice the way he says, and when you fast. So we're talking about the expectation of fasting. Notice how he puts this in regards to this whole teaching section of the other two things that he is talking about. You'll see it clearly there in verse 2. You'll talk about Jesus is talking about giving to others. He says, and when you give to the needy. Notice when he talks about praying, verse 5, and when you pray. And now he's talking about fasting and when you fast. So should we give? Should we pray? Should we fast? There's a clear expectation here that Jesus is laying out when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Jesus is not simply giving an instruction to say, hey boys, now that you're believers and followers of me, these are some brand new things that I want you to do. As Jesus taught about this, he's teaching in regards to things that were already normative, listen, normative for the people of faith under the old covenant. Did they give to the needy in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant? Certainly they did. Even when they were gleaning their crops, God had a heart for the strangers and for the poor and for the widows. He would tell them to leave certain things aside so they could give to the needy. And this is what Jesus talks about at the beginning of this chapter. We see in the Old Testament plenty of examples in regards to the people of God who would approach God's throne and will be praying. And the same was true of fasting. So what I want you to see, clear, clearly see this morning is there is this expectation that Jesus is saying... This is something that should be normative for us. Now, think through my upbringing and my life. I can think of very few times that I actually was taught on fasting. Very few. Taught about worship, taught about prayer, talked about Bible reading. But I can't think of one time growing up, and I grew up in a Christian home, was in church every week. I can't think of one time where our church was called to a period of fasting. If they did, maybe I was too little to remember that, but... I would hope that you would think that even as a church, it's something that we have had in the past. We've called the church to do this fasting and praying for certain periods of things. But it's something that God is calling us to do. So I want you to see just the normative aspect that is here. But if Jesus is teaching this, it's something that was normative for the Old Testament, the people who were there, the faith that's carried over here. Jesus doesn't say, hey, now that I'm here, let's forget this. Let's just keep this. That's the Old Testament thing. Now that I'm here, I don't have to do that any longer. No, it's something that you're going to see even after Jesus that the church actually continued on. So we see clearly the expectation. The second thing that I want you to see here is there's a heart of fasting that is very important in doing. You say, okay, pastor, I got it. I'm going to fast a meal. So what's, what's the purpose in all these things? The heart of fasting is very clearly important for the Lord. God is more interested in the heart motive of your fast than in the discipline itself. Can you do something with the wrong motive? Can you pray with the wrong motive? Can you give to people with the wrong motive? You most certainly can. You can do all those things so that everybody else knows you're doing them. So look at it again in the passage of Scripture. Jesus addresses this, verse 16. When you fast, don't look gloomy 
like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by who? By others. The heart for the hypocrites. Now, what was what was what was hypocritical or what the group that Jesus was associating or talking about were the Pharisees. That was who he was talking about in this context. Let me show that to you. So just look back at chapter 5 so you can see the context of who Jesus was talking about in regards to their righteousness. Look at chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Were the scribes and the Pharisees doing these things? Yes. Were they giving? Yes. Were they praying? Yes. Were they fasting? Yes. But did they have the right motive? No. Their heart's desire was simply to have the pat on the back and a that a boy, good job, oh, you look so religious. That was what their hearts were doing. And now were these things. Now Jesus just said in chapter 5, verse 20, that our righteousness must exceed those things. Well, is giving praying and righteousness or, or, or fasting righteous acts? Certainly they are. Look back at chapter 6 and verses 1. Notice what Jesus says here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So the three specific righteous behaviors that Jesus addresses is the giving, is the praying, is the fasting. Now let's make sure that we understand something clear. Jesus is not saying these are righteous behaviors that get us into heaven. The only one who makes us get into heaven is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We can't do these things. You can have a good motive, only want God to see you, but if you've not repented of sin and placed faith in Jesus Christ and been made, made righteous by the blood of Jesus, you're not getting in. It's important that we understand Jesus is talking to his belief, his followers his disciples who were already believers, he was addressing how they lived out their faith. Even as you heard my brother Trent as he was praying, help us to walk it out. This is what walking out our faith means. It's when we're doing these things that the intent is that we want to have the right heart and motive. So in regards, back when he gave the definition, we're talking about setting time aside and what your need is behind those things. Your heart behind those things is you're not doing it because you want your friend to know you're doing it or your neighbor to know you're doing it or even the whole church to know you're doing it. You're doing it so that you have a desire to see God, meet with God, lay your petition before God. It's just about between you and God. It's not so everybody else can see you. But I want you to understand something. God is concerned about your heart in the pursuit of those things. Listen to what God said through the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. There was calamity that was about to come. And they needed to have a fast. The prophet Joel was calling for this fast. By God to call this fast. And this is what God said through the prophet Joel. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your what? Heart. With fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And rend your hearts... And not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Rend your hearts, not your garments. I want you to understand what happened in the Old Testament when there were people that would hear in regards to some of the calamity that would be happening or that was going to come that God was going to bring upon them because of their sinfulness. When they would hear of those things, they would fast, they would put on sackcloth, which was another way by which that they would humble themselves before God. And it says they would rend their garments as a way by which to show their, their brokenness over what God was going to do. But Joel says 
don't just rend your, your clothes, rend your heart, meaning let your heart be broken before God. Meaning, you could put on sackcloth, you could weep, you could mourn and not have the heart in it. God wants to see that we're truly wanting to pursue Him. And I would just pose this question to all of you in regards to what you're praying, your prayer life is. Is your heart really in what you're seeking God about? Even if you remove fasting out of this equation, that's what God is looking for. And so when we do our nights of worship and prayer and do those things, we come together for the sake of being able to seek God. You don't have to be the most eloquent person. You just need to simply pour out your heart before God Almighty. The reason why we gave you that handout when you came in today is to give you the actual outline of all that we're going to be doing this month. As you know, what we usually do through the, each month, the first Wednesday of every month, we come together for what's called the night of worship, prayer, and the Lord's Supper. We're, we're shifting that one week. We're not going to be meeting this Wednesday night, but the next Wednesday, January the 10th, will be our first night of worship and prayer and the Lord's Supper. We have a fellowship meal at 5, then we meet together at 6.30 through 8. We come in this room, we worship together, and we pray. Mics are scattered throughout the congregation, and we seek the Lord together. And we're going to do something different this year, through the month of January. On the succeeding Wednesday nights throughout the month of January, we're going to all meet collectively together as a church. Our students are going to be in here. Our children are going to be in here. Our preschool will have their time. And they actually have talked to our director. They're going to have some time focused on praying with the kids. But we're coming together through the whole month of January for one purpose. And that's to seek the Lord. I would encourage you, make time to come. Let's seek Him together. Let's render our hearts before the Lord and pursue Him. Simply to seek him. So very clearly we see that there is the expectation, there is a heart. But in, in fasting and praying, Jesus also tells us there's a reward of fasting. What is that reward? Jesus promises us that God will reward those who have a genuine pursuit of him and have a heart for him. Well, what is that reward? Look back at the text, Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Let's read the verses again. And notice what Jesus says about reward. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, what are the hypocrites? What is their reward? Their reward is that everybody else would see them. So let me kind of paint the picture for what that would look like for those Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus warned about. So when they would come into the synagogues, they would have gloomy faces. They wanted people to look upon them and say, oh, they're so religious. They must be fasting today. So what was their reward? That everybody noticed them. But what Jesus is saying is God doesn't care when it's like that. He doesn't care if you're just simply looking at what everybody else says about you. So that was their reward. Now, let's make sure that we have a precaution here. Fasting and praying don't take this and then blow it out of biblical understanding and say, oh, Jesus is going to reward me to get exactly what I'm asking for. Is that exactly what Jesus is saying? That's not what he's saying either. Jesus actually doesn't tell us in this passage of Scripture what the reward is, does he? He just simply tells us, that when we are doing it, not for the sake of others, but when we're doing it so that God sees us, we would be rewarded. Well, what potentially could be that reward? 
Well, if you're fasting and praying about something, it's very possible that God may give the answer to you that you're fasting and praying about. Is that a reward? But what happens, though, when he doesn't? What happens when you're fasting and praying about something or that you're fasting and praying about for someone or for something for many years? What is the reward possibly even in that? The reward could be that you have a sense of peace from God because you've been putting your mind and your heart up on God, that you know he's in control of all those things. The reward could be that you're just meeting with him and he's met with you. The reward could be as you meet with God and you're fasting and praying, it could be that God is actually giving you direction of something that you're pursuing him about. One of the other rewards of fasting and praying, when you humble yourself before God, God is very good about revealing things in your life that doesn't need to be there. So one of the rewards is he's getting things right in you. Oftentimes our direction of fasting and praying is always outward, but sometimes our fasting and praying needs to be inward and just simply presenting ourselves before God, humbling ourselves before him and quieting the noise of this world so we can meet with God. We're so busy, we have so much noise in our life, that there's so many things that's there, it's hard for us to even hear God when he speaks. I think the purpose of fasting and praying is us to be able to get that reward from him. Now, if we're just simply fasting and praying to get the reward, then our motive is actually wrong again. We're simply fasting and praying again to have some designated time from the, based on the definition to seek God, to meet with him, and just to present the need before him. I think you have to ask yourself the question, are you okay if God never says yes to what you're asking for? Fasting and praying is coming before him because mostly, let me just make it very clear. Fasting is praying is you raising your intensity because you just want to meet God. You want to be with him. You want to hear from him for whatever it is that he's wanting you to do. So clearly you have the expectation in regards to the fasting and praying. Certainly we have the heart or the motive behind it. And then clearly we understand that there is this need, that there's reward that is there. And we're going to look at some of the Old Testament examples of what some of those rewards are in just a moment. I'm laying some groundwork for you from this passage of Scripture that I want to show you these examples, just some of the examples in the Old Testament where these actually just pop in regards to all of these particular truths that are there. And the fourth truth that I want you to see from this passage of Scripture is that our fasting and praying needs to have the focus that is correct. Now, that definitely comes in regards to our heart motive, but what is our focus? The focus of fasting and praying is this. Fasting and praying is a primary way to focus our heart and our mind on God and not on the things of this world. I mean, let's be honest. How many of us at times get distracted by the cares of this world? How many of you have been worried before about a bill that has to be paid? How many of you have been worried before in regards to about a health diagnosis that comes? How many of you have been worried before in regards to your job? When, is the things going to happen the way it's supposed to happen? Am I going to get the job that I need to get happen? What, has anybody been worried in regards about a relationship before? Anybody been worried about in regards to how kids are behaving or your children or your grandchildren? Anybody? And all those things can drag your attention and you get consumed with those things. Now, are those things legitimate concerns? Yes, we can be concerned about those things. And what happens is fasting and praying allows our heart and our mind to focus on Christ, to be able to lay those things before him and seek him and not just seeking those things. I'm not saying we don't need to seek and work, work on those things and take care of those things, but those things need to be laid in the proper order and put before the Lord so that He can take care of what He can take care of. Can we really solve all those things that I just laid out for us? 
That's where worry comes is when we're trying to fix it rather than letting the Lord fix those particular things. Now, in this same passage of Scripture, in Matthew 6, Jesus has laid out in verses 1 through 4 in regards to giving. Verses 5 through 15 in regards to praying. 16 through 18 regarding fasting and seeking Him. And He continues all these teachings. Remember He says these are the way by which that we can do our acts of righteousness to do it with a right heart and not be like the hypocrites. Now notice, Jesus moves over a few more verses and He talks about in doing all these things what we're supposed to be seeking first. Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Now, we're not going to read all of the passage in verse 25 and following, but those passages, Jesus is saying, don't worry about food, don't worry about clothing, basically the basic necessities of life. But notice what Jesus says in verses 31 through 33. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first... The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's interesting. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And it's it's on the tail end of what Jesus had just said, that these things of practicing your righteousness of giving, of praying and fasting are ways by which we're seeking the kingdom. If we're seeking the kingdom and his righteousness and his rule and his reign over all those things, we're living out those righteous things. So it's a way by which we're saying, God, I want to seek you first. If you want to seek him first, then we have to also humble ourselves before the Lord. We have to deprive ourselves of things that we really love and say, Lord, I I do like to eat. But I want you more in this particular moment. I promise you, if you fast one meal, you're not going to die. You might think it, but let me tell you just a very practical thing. I had a philosophy professor in college who just simply, when he was teaching on fasting, he was the first time I actually had heard about fasting. And I thought he was just too smart for me to relate to him because he was always talking about all these philosophers. And I'm just like, okay, man, I got you. But I knew that he was a man who loved God and he pursued the Lord. And I'll never forget sitting at class one time, he says, This is what you do when you're fasting. You take that meal and you fast and you're seeking the Lord. And he said, you know, whatever your need may be. He said, but in the middle of those meals, when those hunger pains come, take those as God's gentle reminder to simply pray about whatever it is that you're seeking him for. It's like a natural buzzer. Does anybody have hunger pains? Not right now. But I promise you, when you're fasting and praying, you'll have those. And it's a way by which God can remind you that you're pursuing him. Now, where is the focus in this passage of scripture? Obviously, it's there in verse 31 through 33. But is there a focus in regards to fasting in verses 16 through 18? Certainly is. Look at your text again. Let me show it to you. Notice what it is right there in verses 18. Let's read 17 with it. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Now, what does that really mean? Anoint your head, wash your face. That just means that you're cleaning yourself up. You're going into church like you're looking like everybody else is. You're just getting ready. You're trying not to look abnormal. You're not coming with your hair all unkempt and you're looking all crazy. And they're saying, what's wrong with you? Oh, man, I'm fasting today. (laughs) Then guess what? You just got your reward. Now, Jesus said, basically, clean up. 
Look normal when you're going somewhere like you normally would do. But notice here, where's our focus? And he says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. So that means if my focus is on God, that means I'm doing it in secret. That means when I'm at home and I'm fasting and I'm praying, then no one else is going to know about it. Now, there may be times where you're fasting and praying with other people. And so obviously they're going to know that you're fasting together for things. There's times as a family, we have fasted and prayed for people in our church who had some major illnesses. And we've taken a meal that we've fasted and prayed together. So obviously we knew that each of us were fasting. There's times that we do it as a church. But you don't call each other and say, hey man, how's your fast going? Is it going good for you today? No, we, but what we're saying is we're pursuing, our focus is not letting everybody else know, but our focus is we just want to meet with God. That's the purpose of it. So clearly, four principles that Jesus gives us in verses 16 through 18 here. There's an expectation that is here. There's a heart motive that's here. There's a reward that's here. And there's a focus that's here. Now, what I want to do for the remainder of our times, I want to show you some examples in the Old Testament. I want to show you four particular reasons for fasting. Because you see, clearly, Jesus doesn't say, hey, fast for this thing, this thing, and this thing, does he? He just says, when you fast, do these things. So I think what we have to do is we look at the scripture. This is one of those times where we look at scripture where things are descriptive as opposed to prescriptive. Let me explain the difference. When something is prescriptive, it means this is what you're supposed to do every time how you do it. That's what Jesus has taught us. Those are the prescriptive things that are there. Make certain that you're doing it for God, the right motive. Your heart is there, not to be seen by others, but to be seen by God. Is that true in every time? Absolutely. But what is descriptive in regards to the things that we do need to fast about or you could fast and pray about, I think the, the umbrella is wide that is here, but I want to show you some examples. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. The first one I want to show you is simply fasting and praying just to meet with God, just because you want him, just because you want to meet with him. Exodus chapter 24 is actually the very first example that we have in the Bible of fasting. We don't have any teaching prior to this moment in regards to fasting. We don't have any instruction. There's no particular word by which that we have God speaking down to any particular individual. We just simply have this example of Moses. Moses is going to go up on the mountain to meet with God. And God is going to do some pretty amazing things as Moses meets there with him. But I want you to see what's happening here in this example. And I want you to think about your own example in regards to just simply having some concentrated time just because you want to meet with him. There's no other specific need that's there, no particular urgency, no particular disaster, no particular calamity, nothing that's broken that needs to be fixed, but just simply saying, I want more of you, God. I want to meet with you, God. I need to just quiet my busy life, and I just want to meet with you. Exodus 24 Let's point out a couple of things as we read this passage of Scripture. Verses 12 is where we're going to pick up. The Lord said to Moses... Come up to me on the mountain and wait there. Notice that. Wait there. That I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments with which I have written for their instruction. Now here's something that's interesting. God has already told him what's he going to give Moses when he gets there. He's going to give him the law, but he tells him what he needs to do. He needs to get there and do what? Wait. And what if Moses gets up there and he's impatient and says, Well, God's just not answering me, so I'm getting out of here then he would have missed what God was going to do. Now you get down to verse 15. That's where we'll pick back up again. Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. 
And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. How many days did it wait before God spoke to him? Seven days. So God had told him to do what? To wait. Now pick up again there in verse 17. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Now in this passage of scripture, we don't see Moses recording for us his words about fasting. But it's interesting, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, I'll just put it on the screen for you, when Moses is actually recounting the story, this is what he says. When I went up on the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. What was Moses doing? He was fasting. But I want you to see here, now you say, well, if I meet with God, is he going to give me a book to write? Is he going to give me all these laws and these commandments? And this is a unique, unique moment, obviously, for Moses to meet with the Lord. God had told him, come up here. He's already chosen for this particular purpose. But what I simply want you to see in this particular instance is Moses is fasting and praying simply to meet with God and for God to meet with him. Now, is that something that we can be able to replicate in our own lives? Certainly we could. Now, does that mean that we have to have 40 days and 40 nights to be able to do that? Not necessarily. I know few people, very few people on one hand that I know that have actually had 40-day fast. One was my mentor, that he was fasting for 40 days in order to have a major decision that he was making. Another man by the name of Bill Bright, some of you may know him, who was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew, also went through a period of 40 days to hear from the Lord in regards to what he felt like was needed within the nation. Very few people that I know have done that. So this does not mean that you have to have 40 days in order for God to meet with you. This doesn't mean that you have to wait seven days in order for God to meet with you. I just want you to hear the principle. We're so quick to rush in to meet with God that we don't wait long enough. Okay, God, I'm here. Can you talk to me quick? I gotta go. Fasting and praying is a way by which we're saying, God, I'm gonna put things down so I can meet with you. And hear from you. I want to show you a New Testament example. This is one example I could build much out of this. But I want to show you a parallel in the New Testament. That fasting and praying was just something, again, after Jesus' resurrection was still normative in the life of the church. That it was something that they were doing, not for any particular reason, but just as a way by which to meet and pursue God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we have an example of the early church that was meeting together. They were praying, they were worshiping, and I want you to see that discipline of fasting was right there in the midst of it. In Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, and I want you to see what happens here. Now, when you look at Moses' life and you think about, okay, we think about our definition, well, what was Moses' need? His need was just to meet with God. What was the reward? The reward is that God met with him and gave him the Ten Commandments. And now as we look at Acts chapter 13, think of our definition of fasting and praying as simply setting a time aside to remove ourselves from eating food and to be able to then focus on God and present a need for him. In Acts chapter 13, we ask the same question. What are they doing? What is the need? And what is the reward? Acts 13, let's read it. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny, and a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and what? Fasting. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, 
Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice with me, the church was gathering to worship and to fast for no particular reason, just to meet with him. But out of that, God spoke and said through the Holy Spirit, take Saul and Barnabas and set them aside for missions. This becomes, out of regular just meeting with God, becomes a pivotal point in the church and the book of Acts. This moment, here's what I want you to understand. It was this moment of them just meeting with God to hear from God and to worship. They didn't go meeting to say, God, what's the mission plan? They were worshiping, praying, and fasting. And it was out of that God spoke. Could it be that maybe we're missing some of the things God would want to do in our lives because we're not still enough to hear what he wants to say? As Liz and I were talking in regards to this next year, I, I, I long for God to just continue to do what he's here he, to do here, but to take us to a next level. So I just want to challenge us through this month of praying and fasting to say, God, what do, you, what do you want to do with us? But we just want to meet him and then trust that he's going to make those next steps clear for us, for your life, for your family, for the church. But this was what was happening. And so God spoke and said, this is what I want you to do. So we see clearly there's one thing that is to be able to just meet and pray and to fast. I want you to understand this is something that we as a staff do. On the first Wednesday of the month, when we normally have our month of prayer in the Word, we fast on that day because we want to come together because we're just fasting and praying and seeking for the favor of God over our church. We, we fast and pray for the protection over you. We pray for different ministries of our church, and we're coming together for that particular purpose. And I would just encourage you, maybe even as we have these moments where we get together this month, that you would consider just once a week to fast and to pray for the church in general. And for the direction, the favor of God to say, God, we want you to show up. The last thing that I want to do is just do church. Last thing I want to do is check off a box. I want God to move. I want God to work. I want God to bring an awakening. I want God to bring revival. I want God to stir. I want souls redeemed. I want marriages healed. I want people just flocking to the kingdom of God that's been rescued out of the domain of darkness. Can God do it? So let's seek him for those things. Like let's pray and truly believe. If we believe those things, let's pray like we believe it. And so we see clearly. Let me show you the second one. Let me move on. A second reason that we see in scripture for fasting and praying was for confession and repentance of sin. Now, I'm going to have you to turn to the second passage that's there on the screen. It's Jonah chapter 3, but I want to talk to you about the first one. In Leviticus chapter 16, this is actually the very first instruction that God gives regarding fasting. I'm just going to summarize this one for you so you can see a groundwork for the importance of fasting and praying for confession of sin. Leviticus chapter 16 actually was God's instruction for the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was when the people of God would come before God and the high priest would offer up a a lamb for the people of God. And so their sins would be confessed before God. But on that particular day, God gave the instruction, says, on this day, you need to fast 
and seek God for the confession of your sins. It was a way by which that they were humbling themselves on this annual day where their sins would be laid upon the Lamb and then their sins could be confessed for the Lamb and they would pursue God and God would hear them, make sure their hearts are right. But here's the question. Do you think every person's heart was right? I guarantee there's probably some people who were going through the motion and their hearts were not right. But those who were, those who were genuinely looking forward to the promise that's going to come, so they were confessing those sins. Now, what's the good news? And the fulfillment of those things is this. Christ is our Passover lamb. We simply have to confess our sins to him, that we lay those things before him. And so when we come to Christ for salvation, we confess our sins to him and he forgives us. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 tells us that we become a new creation. All the old is gone and behold, all the new comes. So what in the world is the purpose then of fasting for confession and repentance of sin? There may be times in your life that as a believer, you might have blown it. Can you blow it as a believer? You can. Can God forgive us? And so confession of sin and repentance and fasting is a way by which to truly humble yourself before God and just be able to say, God, I'm coming before you with genuine repentance over these things. Now, again, we give our definition. Fasting is restraining oneself from food for the purpose of pursuing God, to be able to seek Him with more intensity for the purpose of presenting the needs before Him. One of the great stories of this example is Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, God had sent Jonah to be able to be a prophet, to be able to preach the gospel to this nation for them to repent. And Jonah didn't want them to repent, but they heard the word of God and what did they do? Was it an individual fast? This was a nationwide fast. And I want you to see, so the need was, God was going to bring disaster upon them. Jonah goes into the city, he's preaching judgment. Forty days, judgment's going to come. The people hear it, and so the need is, we've got to repent. If, don't, if we don't, disaster is coming. Now, they've got to be genuine in their pursuit, because if they're not genuine in their fast, then God's not going to hear it. But does God hear it? Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, Put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Meaning, who's excluded? Nobody. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast... Herd nor flock taste anything. Now that's an interesting fast. Like he's saying nobody in the land is eating. Like they didn't feed their animals. Can you imagine the cattle, what's going on? Can you imagine the sheep and the donkey and all those particular animals, all those things? He's basically saying, he's humbling himself. We are desperate to hear from God and God to see us that we don't want this. That's the reason behind those things. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Is that interesting? Cover the beast with sackcloth. Can you imagine that as a farmer? 
putting sackcloth on all those animals because you want them. Now, if you understand, sackcloth is not like your wonderful, comfortable, cotton, polyester blend. Sackcloth is rough. I mean, the only thing I could say that would be comparable is you trying to wear just straight wool. It's not nice, is it? Itchy. And so it's a way by which to say, okay, Lord, I really want you to come. Verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I want you to notice something in verse 9. Was there repentance in sackcloth the guarantee that God would relent? He says, notice, God may turn and relent. But it was their pursuit of God to simply do what they knew they needed to do and rest on God to do what he felt was right for them to do. So understand that there's pursuing this. And notice verse 10. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. It was their general pursuit and their confession of their sin, the repentance of those sins, that God heard that and relented of the disaster. Now, let's put this in perspective. Sometimes we sin... And we can genuinely be repentant of it, but sometimes we actually have consequences of the sins that we have performed. And we can be broken over our sin and repent of those things, and God can forgive us. Yes and amen? But will we also sometimes live with consequences? Yes, but that doesn't mean that judgment is still hanging over us. It just simply means we made a decision, now we live with those particular consequences, but you can't let the consequences dictate your mindset in regards to God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness overrules the consequences. But the consequences may still be there. And so it's our fasting, our praying. We can say, I know I laid this before God. And you say, your your dependence upon peace of mind is not necessarily what's happening around you, but the promises of God that what he said he would do. He said he would forgive you. He said he would wipe the slate clean. But that means then in my consequences, I'm going to trust God to help me live out whatever it is that I have in my life, that I have caused, as the old saying goes, if I made my bed, I have to... So sometimes we have those particular consequences. But here we see in the story of Jonah is that God relented of these things. Now, fast forward. There's a book of Nahum, another prophet. A few years after this particular moment, guess what? Nineveh goes right back to their wicked living and God brings judgment. God heard them. He relented. But then when they went back to their sin, God brought judgment to them. So confession of sin and repentance is another way that we can do this. There's another example that we're going to look at, but I'll tell you, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9 is an amazing example of fasting and praying for the repentance of sin. But here's what's interesting. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel was not fasting and praying and asking for brokenness over his own sin. He was fasting and praying over the sin of his country. So confession of sin, repentance of sin, and fasting is actually pursuing God also on behalf of other people. I think that's something that we should do even for our own nation. Confession and praying of God. Our land is filled with rebellion against Almighty God. And praying for an awakening revival. There have been times in history where God has brought awakenings and brought revivals. We know that there's going to be great judgment and things are going to get worse. But there have been times where God would give a relief and he would bring about awakening and revival. Could God do it? He could if he so chose to do so. But we must ask and pray. Let me give you another example. 
A third thing that you can fast and pray about is when you're facing difficulty and need direction from God. Have you ever been in a spot in your life that you just did not know what to do? You're just at a crossroads. You're saying, God, I have no idea. Is there an example of this? Absolutely there is. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles 20, one of the favorite, my favorite stories in the Old Testament, of an example of a king who was in this particular spot. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. King Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, was having people that was coming against him, people from every side, and he's in a bad spot. And rather than trying to resolve it himself, as some kings would do, just go out, get your army together. You've got a big army. Let's go out and tackle them and we'll win it. No, Jehoshaphat simply, he calls for a fast because he doesn't know what to do. Remember, based on our definition, fasting is saving yourself from food for a period of time to be able to pursue God more intently so that you can present your need before him. Jehoshaphat does just that. He calls for a nationwide fast. They lay before God, they need this before Him, and they're waiting on God to answer. Now listen to this. Some of you are in a spot that you need to actually hear this one because this might be where you are. You're at a crossroads, you don't know what to do. You're trying to make some decisions, and you need to listen to what God does in this passage of Scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 20. After this, verse 1, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came... And told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Now let me tell you how that could have went. Jehoshaphat could have said, let's get the army together and let's go bust them. Because we've been successful before. Part of our problem as believers, is we depend on previous successes for what's in front of us. Rather than saying, God was faithful then, but I need to seek Him again and make certain I'm not relying on my power, my wisdom, and my intellect to make the decision here. I need to seek God to see what He says we need to do. So Joseph, rather than depending on his army, says, let's seek God. Seek the face of the Lord, verse 3. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now skip down to verse 12. O our God, here is his prayer. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them, meaning those who are coming against him? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, I would challenge you to underline it. There are times in my life where I have prayed that prayer. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Notice what Jehoshaphat didn't say. My eyes are on the circumstances. No, my eyes are on you, God. And then what does he do? Verse 13. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord. Remember what Moses did when he got on the mountain? What did he do? He waited. And now Judah is waiting on the Lord. And they're with their little ones and their wives and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levat of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. Now let's just pause here. Do you understand something? They're coming together to fast. They're standing before the Lord and say, God, we don't know what to do. This is too big for us. And so they waited. And then the Spirit of the Lord moved. 
And it moved upon this one person out of all of the congregation of people, and this person spoke. Now, if you understand something, the son of Asaph, the son of Asaph, these were singers out of the Levites who were part of the worship team. So this is one of the individuals who's simply there gathering together, and imagine they're just waiting on God to speak. Verse 15, and he said, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but it's whose? God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the accent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeriel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now, if God's going to win it, why do they need to go? If God's going to conquer it, why do they need to be there? It's part of their act of faith to trust what God has said. Just go, he says, and stand and watch so you can see. This was a situation that was beyond their comprehension. It was a massive army. Now, we don't have time to read all this passage of Scripture, but you fast forward, I would challenge you to go back and read all this. They go down, and when they get there, God has stirred up this army, and they fight against each other, all those other three groups, and they slay one another. So when they show up and they get to the hillside, they're all dead. They didn't have to do a thing. Why? Because it goes back to them fasting and praying and seeking the Lord and saying, God, we don't know what to do. And so God had a plan. But if they would have went on their own, do you know how this would have turned out? They probably would have been defeated. This is what I'm saying for some of us, our fasting and praying as we go into 2024. Some of us may be in that spot where you need to say, God, I don't know what to do in this situation about this particular decision I need to make or this direction I need to go. And you're simply saying, God, I just need you to show me. And we need to fast and pray and wait. Maybe the waiting is for a month. Maybe the waiting is for two months. Now you have to get up and move on with your life. But it's simply just waiting. Resting in the fact that you have taken your request, you have laid it before the Lord, and you move on with your life. And you just keep praying about it. And you trust that God's going to give you the direction of it. And you have to come back and say, uh, Lord, did you hear my prayer? Rather than praying that way, say, Lord, I prayed that for you. I'm trusting that in time, you're going to make it clear to me. And if you don't hear something for a while, then you say, okay, God, is there anything else in my life that's hindered me from hearing from you? But you're just simply trusting and waiting upon the Lord to give clarity and direction. And if he doesn't give you clarity and direction, guess what you might need to do? Wait a little longer. Until he gives you clarity and direction. So understand, these are things that we do as a church. We're praying about changing our name. We're praying about buying land. All those major decisions that we were doing. Fasting and praying over people in our church who had major illnesses. We would call and fast and pray for those things. We saw God heal some. We've seen God not heal some. But we're simply coming together as a church. Notice in this story, it says they came together to seek help from God. Let me show you one more. Again, these are descriptive ways and things that you could pray for. Just meeting with God, simply to be able to confess sin and to be able to face difficulty and find direction from God. Let me show you another one. It's simply seeking favor from God over a situation. Turn with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 8. In Ezra, chapter 8, this is here in Second Chronicles. You just need to go to your right in your Bible. Ezra, chapter 8. 
verses 21 through 23. The story here is Ezra is going to be leading one of the waves of the people of Judah back from Babylon, back to Jerusalem. There are three particular groups that are going. Zerubbabel led the first one. Ezra is leading the second one. Nehemiah leads the third one. And as Ezra is going to be leaving the land, he doesn't ask for the king to help him, but he proclaims a fast because he wants God's favor. Understand the challenge of this journey. He's going to be traveling a thousand miles, a thousand miles with all these people, this massive number of people from Babylon, not having an escort with the the king and horses to be able to protect them. He's simply going to rely on God. So what does he do? He calls the people to fast and pray and says, let's seek favor from God over our journey. Look at the text here. Ezra 8 verses 21 through 23. I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God and to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king the hand of our God is good for us or is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he, what? Listened to our entreaty. Understand something. It sounds like Ezra, if you first read that, well, maybe Ezra's being presumptuous here, but it says he sought him, and then he listened for God to grant him favor for the journey. There may be things in your own life that you're asking. Sometimes we say, oh, Lord, this is what I want to do, so I want you to bless it. Rather than saying, God, is this your will? And if it is, then grant favor upon these particular things that your hand is upon it. God granted them favor. You understand traveling a thousand miles with a group of people for a long journey to have no battles, no injuries, no particular things that's hardship to get there is a favor of God on this group. Now, if you're asking for favor, the wrong thing is to say, oh, Lord, I would really like for you to not give me hardship in all my life. I would like to not have sickness. I would not have not have brokenness. I'd like to not have difficulty of finances. Now, that's just not reality, correct? But granting favor and seeking him to be able to be dependent upon him to say, Lord, whatever you would grant, favor upon your job, favor upon you at the, in your workplace, that God would give you favor so that you could be able to be a great witness, favor in your community, whatever it may be. You're seeking the favor of God, favor upon our church so we can reach more people for his good. But I want to give you one last truth about fasting and praying. I've given you several examples of how to fast and pray. The last truth that I want you to have is this. Fasting is genuinely seeking God and prayer, but trusting him with the outcome. You can seek favor from God in fasting and prayer. You can seek direction from God. You can... Confess and repent of sin from God. You can fast and pray just to meet with God, but your fasting and praying does not mean you get to dictate to God what He's going to do. But our fasting and praying is simply leaving the results, the rewards, up to God. I want to show you an example of this. You're in Ezra. I want you to go to the book of Esther. I want you to see. So you're in Ezra. Go to Nehemiah to the right, and then one more book to the right is Esther. Esther chapter 4. Summarize the story very quickly. Esther is a Jew. She's married to a king who is not a Jew. The king gets duped to be able to slay all the Jews. And Esther 
uh, is warned by Mordecai, her uncle, to go to say, hey, look, God's put you in this place. That famous passage that many people quote, for such a time as this, you're right here. And while you're here, you need to be able to go to the king. Now, you understand, Esther, if she chooses to do so, takes her life in her hands. Because if she approaches the king without the king seeking for her, she basically could be slaughtered as soon as she walks into the king's chambers. The king had to petition someone to come. So in order for her to go and to tell him who she was and ask for the safety of all the other Jews, it was putting her life at risk. But rather than being presumptuous just to simply say, hey, he's my husband, I'm her wife, then I'll just, I'll just, I'm his wife, then I'll just go in and just lay this before him. No, she simply calls for a fast, for favor. In Esther chapter 4, I want you to see this in verse, verses 14 through 16. Mordecai says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai went away. He did everything as Esther had ordered him to do. Esther was going to fast and pray. She called for a fast, but she trusted God with the results. She didn't say, I'm going to do this and it's guaranteed that my life is going to be protected. So in all these things that I've laid out for you, meeting with God, confessing sin, and asking for direction and favor from God, are we guaranteed every time of what we're laying before him that we're going to get what we're asking for? No. There's plenty of examples. I mean, there's one example as I was doing this study. In Psalm chapter 33, for example, David actually talks about fasting and praying for his enemies, asking for relief from God, but the relief doesn't come. They continue to hound him and pester him. But it's in Psalm 33 that he just simply has to say, oh God, I've, I've laid this before you, and he has to trust God with the end results. I don't want you to walk out of here thinking fasting and praying is like this magic potion that God is going to say, oh, they really love me now. But it's a way by which we're humbling ourselves before God to position ourselves before God to genuinely seek him to say, God, I need you in this situation. And you trust God to answer how he's going to answer. Where is that connected back to fasting and praying in Matthew chapter six? Turn back there with me, because I want you to see the connection point that Jesus actually makes in regards to resting with the answer in God's hands. It's not right in Matthew 6. It's actually in Matthew chapter 7. But remember, all this teaching was together. It was at one spot. It was God's teaching. In Matthew 6, we see where Jesus is saying that we're fasting and we're pursuing him. But you cannot divorce this teaching in regards to what God is going to say or what Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 7 about trusting that God's going to answer in the way that he deems is best because he's a good father. In Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. So in your fasting and praying, are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Yes. But notice what he says here. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. 
Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If he gives good gifts to children, that means God is our Father, and it means that we have to trust him to give the gift to us that he thinks is best. So if we're fasting and praying, we're trusting. So I'm challenging you this year as you begin 2024. What is it that you need to really lay before him? I'm going to ask Liz to come. And she's going to begin to play. And we're going to begin to transition to our response time. I want to challenge you to think about as we leave 2023 and you started to 2024. What is it you really want to see God do in your life? I've listed various ways that's in the scripture, but I think that there's probably various things that some of you probably need to be able to seek him on. And it may very well be on that very first one that you just need to start out your 2024 and you need to say, God, I just need you and that's all I need. And it may be that you look over 2023 and you look at your life and you may say, man, I didn't seek him like I needed to. He was just kind of in my back pocket, but he wasn't first in my life. So maybe this morning it is to say, Lord, I just need to take some time this month. I need to get my priorities aligned again. I need you, God, to be first. And if that's your prayer, then you need to be willing to kill what needs to kill. You need to be willing to put aside what he says, put aside. You need to adjust what he says to adjust. It might be some hobbies. It might be some time. It might be the way you're spending money. I don't know what it is, but you just simply need to go before him and say, God, I need you. Second thing I think that some of you may need is just to be able to say, God, my walk has not been what it needs to be. I've talked it, but I've not walked it. And it may be you need to fast and pray and say, God, show me in my life of the things that I need to change. Is it things in my family? Is it your things in your marriage? Is it things with your parenting? Maybe it's even some of your business ethics that maybe you need to change in your workplace. That maybe you've been shortchanging and trying to take shortcuts rather than standing firm upon who you are in Christ. Some of you have some broken relationships and you've just shoved them under the rug for a long time. Whether it's your marriage or whether it's broken relationships with your parents, broken relationship with your kids. And you're saying, Pastor, this is too difficult. It was difficult for Jehoshaphat. But he simply went before God and said, God, I don't know what to do. And maybe that's what you need to do is to simply acknowledge that it's outside of your ability. And throw yourself on the mercy of God and say, God, it's too much for me. I don't know what to do. But be willing to sit and wait for what he's showing you to do. Some of you are followers of God, but you just said, I don't know what's going on between my relationship with God. I feel like there's this wall and I can't seem to get anywhere. Maybe you need to fast and pray and ask God to reveal to you what's, what's the hindrance. I would encourage you to read Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah 59, it says, Is the Lord's two hand to save? Is the Lord two hand to reach you? But he says, but it's your sin that has caused him to hide his face from you. It may be that you just need to ask God to show you. God, what's in me that I need to get rid of that's preventing me from having close communion with you? Maybe there's someone in your family that 
is lost. You need to fast and pray for them. Maybe there's a broken marriage. Maybe your spouse is here. Maybe your spouse is not. And maybe everybody else thinks that everything's okay, but you know it's not. And maybe it's a time for you and your spouse to be able to seek God and say, God, we've tried it in our own power. We need your deliverance. Some of you have grown children. I know and hearing you. They're not walking with God. And you're broken over those things. Have you fasted and prayed over them? Have you laid them before God and sacrificed your hunger for a moment to be able to see God work? I long to see God move in your life and through this church in 2024. And I think this can be a beginning point to humble ourselves before Almighty God and say, God, we need you. So in a moment, we're going to do response time a little different today. We're not going to stand and sing. We'll sing in a moment. We're going to meet with God and be still. Moses was still. The people of Judah were still, and they waited. I want you to be still and wait. I want you to be willing to pray, God, what is it this year? I need to fast and pray over. And today I'm asking you, write it down somewhere. Make a mark in the sand and say, God, I need you this. Someone asked Liz to continue to play for those in this room or for those who are watching online. Make an altar out of your chair. If you want to come to this stage and make an altar out of it, if you want to come to these steps and you want to make an altar out of it, then come before him and say, God, I, I need you. Maybe everything is going great in your life. We can never get enough God. And it may just be simply say, God, I need you, Lord. Some of you in this room may have never repented of sin and placed faith in Jesus. Your step today is repentance and coming before Almighty God who can forgive you of all of your sins and make you right before Him. And if that's the case, and even in this moment when we're still, that you would stop playing Christianity and you would get right with God. This can be your moment today. Someone ask us in this room for everybody just to be still, to take a moment to pray. Just to bow your heads and humble yourself before God. Dads, moms, parents, grandparents, students, children, everyone in this room. Because when the people of Judah stood before God and Jehoshaphat, it was everyone. They all gathered together. I'm asking each person in this room to ask a simple question. God, what is it that I need to put before you this This is going to play for a moment. This is a time for you to be still before him. And after a moment, we're going to sing a song. When we sing, it's just simply going to be a prayer to God to hear us. So I'm going to be quiet and we're going to be still before God. You answer God what he has shown you today.
God, you see the hearts of your people and you hear the prayers of your people. Lord, I pray that the things that individuals, maybe couples or families are feeling prompted of what you want them to seek you for, to lay before you. And then God, I pray that you would help them to carry those things out and they would genuinely take some time to to say through this, through their fast, to say, Lord, this is how much I love you. I put this aside because we want to hear from you. And so, God, I pray that you lead us as a church and individuals to the very things that you want us to lay before you. And I pray that you do some amazing things. Work greatly. Tear down walls. Reveal sin so that repentance can take place. Restore marriages. Bring wayward children back. Save lost souls. Show your favor. Give direction. Give clarity. And most importantly, Lord, let us just meet with you. Be changed by you. And that you would use our lives and this church for your good and for your glory. God, we give you this month of prayer in the word. We ask for your favor over it. We ask for your anointing over it. And when we gather in these rooms and we hear your word and we worship and we pray, God, we pray you would meet us here and do some great things. And now, Lord, we sing this song to you just as our prayer. Our prayer for this church to you, Lord. So hear us as we sing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Would you join us to stand? Let's sing this to the Lord this morning. Let this just be your prayer through him.